remain standing. If you use, now we've got to flip to your blue books there. In the Bibles, Isaiah chapter 7 and verses 10 through 17, page 679. This is about a sign, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 10 to verse 17. The king is Ahaz, and uh, Ahaz does not want a sign. The Lord says you're going to get one. In fact, you're going to get two. One is you're going to get wiped out by Assyria, which was not good news. And he said, but I'm going to send a deliverer. And that deliverer will be one who is untainted by sin. That's the crucial part of born of a virgin. This is one who has no sin attaching to, attached to him, and he will be the victor. So Isaiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 10, page 679 in your pew Bibles. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or the grave or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Speaking of Jesus' upbringing, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria, dreaded, dreaded, wicked king. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, as we remain standing for the reading of the word of God. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Remember that Isaiah wrote some 700 years before this event. If you could go back in a time machine, you would see this about 2,000 years ago. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly because at that time engagement had the force of marriage. But as he considered these things, behold, once again an angel of the Lord, part of the Lord of hosts, appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, what you just heard from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, which means Savior. The grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord stands forever. To which you respond by saying together, Hallelujah, Hallelujah and thanks, thanks be to God. God. Our Lord, do what we have just sung by your own eternal spirit reign in all our hearts alone. We pray that you would work by the spirit to that end. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Please be seated. Uh, for today, do one of two things. You, you may want to just turn to page 7 for the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Or if you would prefer, you can go a couple more pages and come to the, um, the sermon notes. But I think actually looking at the hymn itself is going to be of, of help to you. The Christian faith is, in a very special way, it is a singing religion. It's not that there isn't singing in, in other religions, but it's uh, very different. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, singing, believe it or not, is, is a reflection of the fact that you're made in God's image. Now, God rejoices over his people with singing, even though he doesn't have a mouth. There's a way that the eternal spirit uh, makes known his delight in his people by way of whatever uh, the, the, the God's uh, singing is. And we reflect that. We rejoice over him with, with singing, right? And then when the Lord saves you, he puts a new song in your mouth even praise to your name, O Most High, for those of us who were converted uh, a little bit uh, later in our lives and we had sung, learned to sing so much junk, it makes you appreciate a lot more the new songs that the Lord puts into our mouths. And, and that singing comes out in particular ways when it comes to the great events in human history that God has done. And, and those two greatest that we know of from human history are, are the birth of the Lord Jesus, what we call Christmas, and then the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that we call Easter. And while we're not bound to sing of those things this time of the year, it's on people's minds, it's on your minds, and, and it's good to sing of those great events. Now, I want to do this week and next week, and I've never done anything like this before, so it'll either work well or it'll flop, but <laughs> hopefully it'll be useful to you. I want to, I want to speak to you this week and next week about Christ in the carols, Christ in the C-A-R-O-L-S. And, and, and part of the reason is this. When, when we're singing of, of these great events, ah, there are huge concepts in them. Day spring from on high, uh, rod of Jesse, uh, the shoot of Aaron. And, oh, what, what are you singing? This does not fit with, with a lot of contemporary singing, but they're biblical words, and we're meant to sing with our understanding. And so I'm hoping that, that this week and next week, the hymns that we're going to sing, and we'll sing those hymns at the end of our service, will come to, to radiate with you with far more meaning than they would otherwise. And as you can tell for, for this week, 
the, the hymn is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Um, they don't want you to, to, to sing mindlessly. When you singing mindlessly is a little bit like going to Peter Luger's Steakhouse and getting the best steak that they offer with the cream spinach and all this other stuff that violates your diet. But you go to a, a Peter Luger's Steakhouse and then eating it like it's a McDonald's hamburger. You don't do that. <laughs> you take your time and you savor things. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to savor this material. Now, for that purpose... I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. Okay, so you've got, your, you've got your pew Bibles. And you'll see the reason for this in a moment. Isaiah chapter 8. And for our purposes, you're going to begin, be on page 680 and 681, okay, if you're using your, your pew Bibles. I want you to imagine, and, and I really do want you to think like this, because I don't think you'll appreciate the hymn if you, you'll level the history of it, okay? I, I want you to imagine that you are living about 400 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting, you would be living just about the same period our forefathers came to the United States on the Mayflower. That was 1620, that was 400 years ago. Imagine 400 years before the birth of Christ. And, and your name, your name is Ben-Ami. Ben-Ami. Ben-Ami ben means son of my people which means you're a representative Israelite, and, and you were in Israel, it's about 400 years before the birth of Christ. The, the Old Testament is a book that began to be written with Moses about uh, 1,425 years before the birth of Christ, uh, right to Malachi, which was finished about 1,000 years later, actually. The Old Testament's done. And there's loads of promises in the Old Testament. You, you have, uh, you know, you are, you are a son, you are a, a son named Ben-Ami, son of my people. You've learned Hebrew, you've learned Aramaic, you've learned to read. Isaiah's probably your favorite book, which, which it was for many. And yet, none of these promises have happened. Israel, Israel is in a pretty bad state. It has gone back to the land. There's a small temple that's there. Uh, by this time, the Greeks have taken over. They are, they are governing everything. They are hardly friendly to your faith. Uh, the Romans will take over. It will be even worse. And it, it, it just looks very, very bleak. And so what I want to do in the time that we have here is I want you to imagine that you are Ben-Ami. You are one of the son of my people. And you are you are reading Isaiah, and, and there's two things that, that come out. One is longing. There's a longing, and, and you, will, you will get this language because it's the same kind of longing we experience. And then there's promises. And you're going to see these in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You have to follow carefully, but we're going to show you how there's in this song, which is a petition, Okay, a petition at the beginning, a petition at the end. Uh, there's a statement in most cases about, about Christ or about God and his power and then what that means. Okay, so, so that's kind of the stuff of this. There's longing. And then the promise, the promises that Ben-Ami is clinging to 
all of which are, are in this book he's reading in Isaiah, although they haven't come to pass. And then we're going to look at fulfillment, but it's fulfillment in two parts. Okay, it's fulfillment with the coming of Christ and with the return of Christ. Uh, but right in the middle of that, Benami is going to die. Okay, so that's, that's the story, we'll tell you. So, you are Benami, and you are in Isaiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. And what longing that you have for things there. The language that is in this song, which he has not written, but it would be his language anyway. Ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. In Isaiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 20, there's the language of distress and mourning and sorrow and misery. Why? Because Israel, that was supposed to be the gem among the nations, is just a little nation in a small area, and it's under captivity, and the captivity is going to get worse. And so Israel is literally captive to an enemy force. It has been wiped out by Assyria and by Babylon. And that, that actually is probably more, you think, a part of your history than even these things you're reading in the book of Isaiah. It mourns in lonely exile here. Now, we're not enjoying the blessings that God promised. And then as you go on in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, in the third stanza, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. Now, Satan worked literally at points, but what, what was it that was, if I could put it this way, the billboard of Satan's tyranny? Well, it's caught here. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. What's Satan's tyranny? You don't have to go to the exorcist for that. The great billboard of Satan's tyranny is the billboard that says in so many ways, not in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But the billboard says, because your parents ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died. And Satan's tyranny, uh, let me just give you some examples from this morning on CBS radio to the point that I had to just turn it off. A young man coming back from business school in New Jersey, waiting at a bus stop, is stabbed and beaten and killed. And the day you eat, you'll die. Satan's tyranny. Another young lady, although she didn't die, is pulled by a car that hits her in the Bronx and drags her so that for all we know for the rest of her life, she will be scarred. People who are shot in the streets in Brooklyn or the Bronx or one of your own relatives who suffers death. That's Satan's tyranny. You know why? Because you can't stop it. You cannot stop the tyranny of the devil. And hence, that language, that the billboards of which have been throughout history, your own from depths of hell, your people save. But there's more to it. Stanza three. 
it speaks not only of, of uh, it speaks of, in, in stanza four rather, cheering us by your drawing nigh, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. That's the language that Benami's reading in Isaiah 8. Gloom, distress, darkness, which means what? Suicides? Botox treatments that end up poisoning you? Medicine that's supposed to help that ends up hastening your own death? People fishing for ideas to govern their lives and quite frankly dwelling in insanity and then reaping the consequences of it. Gloom and distress that Bonami experienced. And he ends in the very last stands in the middle, make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to another word that's given in Isaiah chapter 8 in the beginning of chapter 9, misery. All mankind are born in a state of misery, sin and misery, sickness, pain, suffering, sorrow, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, cancer, heart attacks. That's the real world. And Ben-Ami faced all of those things as he looked at the world around him. But he's reading Isaiah. He's reading this book that you were looking at here. And he reads so many things that stand out in his mind. I'll give you the texts. We won't look them all up, but just you can mark them if you want. But I, want you, I really want you to read these texts for yourselves and see them. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Ahaz, ask of me, I'm going to give you a sign. Ahaz, the king of Assyria, is going to come. He's going to wipe you out. You're going to be surrounded by evil. And in fact, you're evil yourself, Ahaz. But I'm going to bring one into the world who is born in a way that bypasses original sin that comes from the union of a man and a woman. This one will be born of a woman, but the one he will be born of is of the Holy Spirit. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Great miracle. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And this is the great sign. This is God. This is God with us. You'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And Ben-Ami is reading this, and there's no virgin that's given birth to a child. There's no one that's been born that has, that has delivered Israel. No one would have the audacity to say of someone born of a woman, God is with us. He continues to read your, your second stanza of the Lord of might, a phrase that's used many times in the Old Testament, but it's used in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and here it is, God of might, mighty God, literally El Gibor, the God hero. And as Ben-Ami is reading this, he realizes this description he has here, the same God 
who came down on Mount Sinai to give the law that condemns, this is the devil's great instrument to use to condemn us, that great power that brought down the law, that great power has got to bring a deliverer. Hence he has sung of a ransom that's in here. But the Lord of might, the Lord of might must come. And then in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, he has read of the rod of Jesse. When you think of a fishing rod, that's not what's in view here. Even root of Jesse doesn't get it. But it, it, it's, Jesse is called a stump. Jesse was the father of David, the king. And Jesse was in the line from which Messiah would come. But Israel's in exile. And what was a great flourishing tree of Israel, think of it in the time of Solomon, all it is now is a stump. But there's something that grows out of that stump, that grows, and it's called here, the rod of Jesse. Something grows out of that stump, and what is it? It's a little shoot that's going to grow and is going to fulfill the promises of a vibrant, lavish people of God in all of the world. O come, thou rod of Jesse, come. And then he will read in Isaiah chapter 60 in verses 1 through 3. They didn't have the verses in the chapters then, but boy, we know it is then. And it's a beautiful picture in Isaiah 60 of arise and shine, for your light has come. It's a picture of nighttime. And you see the sunrise and the sun comes up in this darkness and this gloom uh, that Benami experiences as he reads Isaiah and as he looks around him. It's going to be dispersed by a sun that will rise, but not, not a, a physical sun that's, that's without life. It's the sun of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. O come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by your drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. But notice from what Benami's reading, it's still gloom and it's still darkness and it's a really sad, sad day. And at the very end, in stanza five, he has read of the key of David that's used in Isaiah chapter 22 and in verse 22, an interesting reference uh, person that we would know of as the prime minister in the kingdom. The king had his responsibilities with his royal regalia and all of that, but he had a prime minister who really had the reins of authority. And that prime minister is given, uh, he's given a key to all of the authority of the Davidic kingdom it's called the key of David. And that sounds so wonderful because the key of David would unlock and open up all of the promises that God had given to David, who was to be the quintessential king of Israel. But the one given that key has long since died, and no one has that key at that point. Well, that's what Benami reads. That's what Benami sees. And that's what Benami prays because it's O come, O come, Emmanuel. 
O come, O come, thou Lord of might. O come, thou rod of Jesse. O come, thou dayspring from on high. O come, thou key of David, come. And brothers and sisters, this is your world. Be honest. It is a world of gloom. It is a world of distress. Not that there were not good things. If God only gave us gloom and distress and darkness, forget it, we'd all want to commit suicide. But let's face it, it is predominantly gloom and distress and darkness. It's exile. It's Satan's tyranny. Clouds of night. There are promises. And my guess is that Benami who would eventually die, who would eventually sleep, died with these promises very much in his heart. Like Abraham of old, he believed them, but he didn't see them, and he slept. And while his body in the grave would not be aware of the passage of time, 400 years would go by from the time of his death, and that's when Ben-Ami would be able to see the fulfillment of his promises. Look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 1 once again. Matthew chapter 1. And as I said, you go back in a time machine and you'd see these things some 2,025 years ago. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ. Remember the sign, it would be a baby. The birth of Jesus, which means Savior, Christ, Messiah, the fulfillment of all the promised prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament, took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, who's not called his father, before they came together, she was found to be with child, not from Joseph, but from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, not Jesus' father, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly because engagement had the force of marriage. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is not from you as human paternity, but from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In other words, his life would be given as a ransom for many and ransom those who are in exile. A payment of perfect obedience and a payment price of death that is paid to satisfy the Father for his own people who are captive. We'll call his name Jesus. That's the rich meaning of Savior. For he will save, later he will, you'll see, will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. You've heard the promise. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
not someone like God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Beautiful model of what obedience to the Lord is. He took his wife, but knew her not. They had no sexual relations until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. We won't turn there. I want you to read the text yourself. You can read it in Luke 1. And I want you to be reading these Christmas texts in particular. But remember that Benami uses the illustration of the might of God that did nothing less than come down on Mount Sinai and give the law. And it is Luke who, under the inspiration of God, tells Mary that that which is conceived in her comes by the might, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The very power of God that came on Mount Sinai to give the law would be the very might of God that would come to form that one that the Apostle John would say, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Ben-Ami's, what he'd read, begins to be fulfilled quite literally in the birth of the Lord Jesus. And you can even add to that, and that text continues in Luke 1, 34 and 35. Remember that, that Ben-Ami has says, the Son of God must appear. And the Holy Spirit says, and that one who was born in her shall be the Son of God. Benami in the grave, but the promises are being fulfilled. Benami is told that there would be a rod of Jesse that would come. And this I do want you to look at. Look at the book of Romans, chapter 15. You say, what does this have to do, Jesse? Romans chapter 15 and verse 12. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing when he gives the scriptures. And, and you're reading in Matthew and you're reading in Luke, and oh, this is a fascinating account of, of the birth of Christ and the angels and John the baptizer. Oh, and it's wonderful. And early in Matthew and then a little bit later in Luke, you've got a genealogy. Oh, all these different... Old Testament names, most of which you've never heard of and a lot of which you can't even pronounce. Why did the Holy Spirit put these in here? One that's in both genealogies is the name Jesse. Jesse would give forth as his son David the king. And remember, there is a root of Jesse. There is another greater David to come forth. And that theme is picked up in Romans 15 and verse 12, page 1,129. This is what Benami's been reading in Isaiah. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises, it's the language of sun rising, to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Stop and think about this. Ben-Ami has seen the Gentiles, the Assyrians, the Greeks, soon the Romans, 
They're the Gentiles that have vanquished his nation. But there's a rod of Jesse that's going to come, Christ himself. And Gentiles, including people from old Assyria and Greece and Rome, there's a reason why those books are in the New Testament. They are going to come to Christ. He will rule over them and they will hope in him. The promise Benami did not see is fulfilled in this rod of Jesse, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's even more. The day spring from on high. Now for this one, I want you to look at Luke chapter 1 and beginning at verse 78. This is a little bit longer reading, but let this wash over you. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 78. Actually, beginning it. Actually, let's begin a little bit earlier. Let's begin at verse 68. I didn't know where to... Okay, this... Elizabeth, Mary, Elizabeth is past childbearing age, and she's with child with John the baptizer. Mary is a virgin. And she is with child to have the Lord Jesus. Well, you know that at this point, there's going to be an awful lot of talk about what's going on. And Zechariah, who is the father of John the baptizer, is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. This is the word of God. You can't imagine it not gushing out of him as he speaks not only about the one to be born to his wife, but the nephew who would be born of Mary, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited and redeemed his people. This is what Benami has been looking for. He has raised up a horn, a cornucopia of salvation for us in the house of his servant David from the rod of Jesse, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be Benami's hope, saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers, promises Benami clung to right up to his death and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies above all Satan's tyranny might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, as he speaks to John the baptizer, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord. You'll go before Jehovah, the God-man, to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins and ransom those who are captive to the evil one because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, remember he sings, he reads of the sun that will rise and bring light to a land in darkness, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, Benami reads of darkness, and this Christ would give light to those who sit in darkness and in Satan's tyranny, the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the way of peace, a short way of saying what Benami spoke of as the glory of taking away all the dismal, dreary clouds of night being fulfilled. The promise not only of a day spring from on high, but the key of David. As you read in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 7, this Jesus says, I have the key of David. And I open the door to people to come to me. Nobody shuts it. I shut the door and no one opens it. And, and those, those promises that, that Ben-Ami read of, even though his body is long since decomposed, yes, they're being fulfilled. And how will they be fulfilled? Not just by the baby that was born of a virgin without sin, but that one who, as he's read in Isaiah 7, would, would learn even though he was God and man, he still needed to learn to do the right and to stay away from the wrong. And he does, and he does it perfectly. Perfect obedience, Ahaz, Ahaz. You need a deliverer who is absolutely perfect, and Jesus was. And he is obedient even to the cursed death of a cross. Why is that? To ransom, to ransom. Notice the language that's in the hymn right in your first stanza, to ransom captives from the grave. That's what he does. That's what his work is. As it were, the Father says, I have all of these people. They deserve to die for their sin. They must be absolutely perfect, or I would not be just to have them into heaven. And Jesus is the great liberator of slaves. That's the language that's here. He says, I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price of an absolutely perfect obedience. And what's even more, I'll take the punishment for every one of their sins. I will ransom. A ransom price has to be paid in full. And Jesus does it by this thing called the cross. And whether Ben-Ami knew this or not, that cross was the hinge between these promises that he read and the effect of those promises. The fulfillment, part one, is in Christ coming into the world, but he's raised from the dead, and he's taken up into heaven. And from that point on, everlasting life has invaded history. Oh, you gates, open to the King of Kings. You can't stop it. The one who would deliver from Satan's tyranny comes into the world. And notice these promises that are here, that are fulfilled. We've read of them. Ransom, captive, Israel. Jesus does it by his own death on the cross. And from thy, your own, from Satan's tyranny, deliver them from the depths of hell. Save them. And he does. As he conquers death, Ben-Ami, for that very reason, his soul would be in glory with the Lord, and one day it'll be raised from the dead as all of his people will. And then in stanza three, cheer us by your drawing nigh, disperse the cloudy 
clouds, the, the, the gloomy clouds of night. Jesus does it as he sends the Holy Spirit that our joy might be full, that light would displace darkness, truth would displace superstition, life would displace death, and service to the idols of the world that can't save and would be displaced by service to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The fulfillment of what you read at the very end makes safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. I want you to think about what that means. Adam and Eve in the garden had, if I could put it this way, the opportunity to bring the world into misery, and they did. And leaving the state of man to man would only result in that. There has to be something that closes the door to any future misery. I want you to look at the last book of the Bible with me. This one you can find without any page numbers. Just go to the very end, the book of Revelation, not Revelations. It's one book, Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 to 4. Pages one, uh, page 1,233, 1,233. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Then I saw, and Benami will see, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, with all of its gloom and misery and sorrow and death and Satan's tyranny, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, That's why, brothers and sisters, I love your loud voices. When it's victory you're singing of, you sing loudly. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God and wipe away the gloomy clouds of night. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And Satan's tyranny, death, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. And if that's not enough, chapter 22 and verses 3 through 5. No longer will there be anything accursed and close the path to misery. No more opportunity for falling. Never again, the day you eat, you'll surely die. You may eat of all, and it's all the tree of life. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God 
and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They, including Benami, will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and take away the darkness and the gloom, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. The Son of Righteousness is not only risen with healing in his wings. He is high in the sky, lighting eternity. And no more in exile. No more captivity. They will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Is that where your hope is, brothers and sisters? If your hope is not in this Christ who was promised, who came, and his coming, your life is gloom and distress and anguish and the captivity of death. That sounds very severe, Pastor Shishko. It is. And it's also true. But in this gospel age, you know what you say, Lord Jesus, come to me. Come and save me. Come and be my Lord. Come and be my God. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom me, captive Israel. So the Lord has come to you. It's interesting, when we sing rejoice, rejoice in this, the song is in a minor key, interestingly, because there's sadness in it. Isn't there sadness? Be honest, brothers and sisters. Hold the promises, cling to them, smile all you want. There's still a lot of gloom and a lot of sadness in this world. And so rejoice has a little bit of a mournful character to it. But however you do it, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, number one, has come to you, O Israel, people of God. And then sing it again. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel will come to you, O Israel. And then all you who trust in Christ and all of the Benamis, the sons of the Lord himself, who've loved that Christ forever and ever and ever and ever, will sing praise. Emmanuel, you came, and I am saved by your amazing grace. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for how a hymn like this, and this, this is a hymn that has evolved over hundreds of years in the Christian church, but with good reason it has developed because it captures so well the whole message of the coming of the Christ into the world. And now, our Lord, make us to be a people who not only sing this, as we will in a while, but make us to be a people who believe it unto the salvation of our souls. We pray in Christ's glorious name, confirming that we desire to be heard as we say together, 
Amen. Amen. Amen and amen.